0: Spring came earlier on the coast than it did in the mountains, and his summer was already near when the king's magus woke one morning in the last hour before dawn with his ears ringing to find his room awash in moonlight. There was a sound like thunder still lingering in the air, and he left his bed to look out the window. "'There isn't much to see from here,' said a voice behind him. "'You need a view of the harbor." The magus turned to look for the thief of Edis and saw a shadow standing in the corner out of the moonlight. Eugenides, he said. He had recognized the voice. Yes. What have you done?
1: Listening to the Aetolian Archives, a Queen's Thief reread podcast that aims to answer that very question, just what has eugenities done? A
0: heck of a lot in our chapter for today, which is chapter 8
1: of the Queen of Aetolia. After five
0: solid chapters of smoldering in the emotional wreckage of chapter 3, Jen is back in action with a bang, and what action it is! In 19 pages, Jen destroys the Sunesian navy, kidnaps the Magus, upends the military landscape, and inadvertently starts a rumor that he's boning his cousin. It's March 10th, 2019. Let's get to it. So in our last episode, we talked a lot about the destruction of the Navy, even though it doesn't happen until this chapter, because we were just so <laughs> excited about it. And it really is so satisfying. Because mm-hmm. you, if you're reading this for the first time, it's uncertain whether Jen is going to be up to his old tricks again. And in this chapter, you finally get assurance that he is back in action. Yeah, and in the best possible way. Yeah. A detail that I think is interesting about the way that he does this is that he destroys the Navy when all the sailors are on shore, having this festival that celebrates their naval superiority. And so he accomplishes two goals with that. One is ethics. Jen doesn't want to destroy the Navy when there were people on the ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also irony. It's funny. Uh, and it's um, it's an example of uh, something that Chip has brought up a couple of times, which is that Jen always finds a way to succeed on all fronts.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's one of the things that makes this return to power so satisfying because it's also, not only is it a political victory, but it's also personal in his relationship with the Magus. Mm -hmm. So something that this made me think about is, you know, when you think about Jen's relationship with other people in this series you kind of think that the relationship with the most ups and downs is his and Atolia's, Mm -hmm. but his relationship with the the Magus has just as many ups and downs and, like, revenge (laughs) moments (laughs) as Atolia's. And there's that thing about how there are these personal
0: relationships, and then there's the politics. And mm-hmm. the politics are always muddying the personal relationships, and vice versa. Jen ruins the Magus's life yeah. in this chapter. And uh, the Magus is is angry. He says that he uh, is too old to be something... Uh, by somebody I thought was a friend yeah. and Jen reminds him that hey, five seconds ago you were trying to get your king to take over my country
1: mm-hmm.
0: so this
1: is it's both very personal and very impersonal right, and Jen points out that it was the Magus himself who spurred Jen to this course, to this point of action saying you could still do something mm mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: That's not what I meant, Jen! Every character has uh, a moral weakness or a point where their moral world becomes different in relation to nationalism and patriotism. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a whole other arena where they do things that they would never otherwise do to each other. Mm -hmm. The nationalism creates divisions between people.
1: Right who are brought together in other ways, not by their nationality, but by their interests, or by personal feelings that are then divided by nationalism. Mm -hmm. So, Jen's turning point in this chapter from um, his previous passivity to coming back into the political arena is even highlighted in um, the descriptions of this scene when the magus wakes up with the boom of the cannons and jen is in his room jen is in shadow Mm -hmm. and then i can steal anything eugenides corrected him even with one hand he took a step forward into the moonlight so like even just the smallest details are revealing in this way are Mm -hmm. echoing what's happening and it reminds me
0: looking forward of one of my favorite lines from the king of atolia eugenides with like a god revealed Mm He steps into the moonlight, and uh, the the truth of him that the mages hadn't realized becomes apparent, which is that he is still extremely dangerous and unpredictable. Right. It's a side of him
1: that he didn't. Well, okay. I was. It's a side of. I was going to say it's a side of him that he didn't think was still there, but I would even go further than that, actually, and say that it's a side of Jen that the Magus has actually never seen before because Mm -hmm. they talk in this chapter about um, political naivety when they're talking about politics. It's clear to the Magus that Jen is now much more ruthless than he was before, Um, that he has a completely different perspective on politics now. He's now, uh, he's grown up, as Chip was saying in the last episode. Yeah, he's changed
0: a lot. Yeah, it- he says I would have much preferred to slit Sunez's throat while he slept, mm-hmm. and there's an uh, ambiguity. I think you could make an argument that he is bluffing. True. He says, I would have much preferred to slit Sunis's throat while he slept, but his heir, meaning Sophos, is hardly ready to inherit the kingdom, and we can't have a civil war in Sunis for the mead to step in and resolve, can we? And so Jen has found an excuse, Mm -hmm. both not to kill the king of Sunis and not to put Sophos in a position of having to lead a kingdom before he's ready, which would be extremely dangerous for him. And so... uh, Eugenides, like, he's found a way to make his personal goals politically expedient for everyone.
1: Mm -hmm. And just thinking about the point you brought up a little while ago, how um, nationalism changes the personal relationships between all of these characters, um, Eugenides says something related to that that's kind of equalizing. He says, when the Magus is telling him, like, You know, things would have been better if you had just convinced Edith to surrender. Uh, It says, One thing I see Eugenity said is that everybody is always willing to throw someone else's country to the dogs. Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's something that he would have said
0: in The Thief, even if he was being honest. Right. I think Jen has a, a much more romantic view of the relationships between countries and the position of Edith in The Thief yeah, than he totally. does in this book. Uh, which is interesting, because in terms of, like, relationships, this is probably the most uh, romantic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's centered around a love relationship and also uh, uh, an optimism about how relationships can resolve. But the... Politics uh, is much more pessimistic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Jen is still passive-aggressive <laughs> about that damn cart. It's been how long? It's been like a year and a half. Yep. <laughs> and he goes, you see how well-planned this adventure is. I arranged not only a cart, but a chariot as well, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say
1: asshole. Oh, we weren't going to swear. Mm. <laughs> Might be a lost cause. <sighs> That's another aspect of this series that I really enjoy, that even when they're they're doing all of this and wrecking each other's lives, there still is that levity that reminds you that there are deeper connections between them. Yeah. And that um, even though they do go through all these ups and downs, they still care about each other at the end of the day. And that their relationships are strong enough to withstand... This pressure that the political situations put on them.
0: Yeah, the interactions between Jen and the Magus in this chapter are really complicated. Mm -hmm. Because they're deeply angry at each other. Yeah, And this is a profoundly difficult situation, uh, and the stakes are high, but it never feels... The magus makes a joke about how he'd be happy to see Jen fall and die. And Jen smiles because he's like, oh, you know, the first real joke of this evening.
1: And the punchline of the joke is the fact that the magus doesn't actually want that. Like, that's what's supposed to make it funny. Yeah. (laughs) Is that...
0: But it's sort of like what he's supposed to say in this kind Like, they're playing parts, almost. And... Oops brings us back <laughs> to my pet theme of this book, which is performance. It's a, uh, it's almost a game. Yeah.
1: And I, th- I think that's also a, a huge part of why they can eventually, after all this, make it back to emotional equilibrium with each other. Mm-hmm. Because part of it is performative and there's a difference between their political roles where they're taking these actions against each other and their personal, where they do actually like, like each other. <laughs> and speaking of performance, there's a lot in this chapter
0: about uh, taking advantage of other people's perception and of rumors. At first, Jen wants people to believe that he's still in his room, mm-hmm. uh, and he's still incapacitated, and once that cat gets out of the bag, uh, a rumor is semi- accidentally started that he and Helen are romantically involved and they take advantage of that because if people are paying attention to that then they won't see what's really going on it's like a magician's misdirection Mm -hmm. and at the same time Atolia is uh continuing to make it seem to everyone around her including the people that she's closest to that she is totally on board with the mead and we know from having read this book that she is not but uh everything about the narration
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh everything about what she does suggests that she is in bed with them yeah. hook line and sinker figured yeah
1: but it's a performance that she's putting on right It says, like, in Relius's, semi-Relius's narration, it says Atolia had been showering favors on the mead. Yeah. And nobody, it's almost, uh, like, she's overdoing it. But no one, nobody questions it. Because they underestimate her, I think. And it's, another aspect of that is, er, well, no, I guess this is probably, you tell me if you think this is her main goal here. Edis and probably everyone else assume from Atolia, quote unquote, showering favors on the mead that she's also politically involved with them, Mm -hmm. but she's not. Mm -hmm. But do you think Atolia is being so warm to Nihizrash in order to create that misconception, or just is she leading him on to lead him on? I and, like, the perception is uh, a byproduct of that. Hmm. I don't know if I'm being clear enough. You I, know, think, you do I, I think
0: that Atolia's first and foremost goal is keeping the mead happy mm-hmm. so they don't see what cards she actually has up her sleeve. Right. If they think that she's docile, then they'll get docile. Um, but hmm, there's a question of whether... Edis and Sunis thinking that she is treating with the mead is to her advantage. Right. Right now, which I don't know
1: that it is. Mm, even if she thinks it is, that's the reason they're trying to depose her. Yeah. So it's not, but maybe she doesn't see that. Mm-hmm. Or
0: maybe she sees it as a necessary byproduct yeah. of how she has to deal with the mead right now. Because mm-hmm. I don't see her having a lot of other options.
1: Yeah. She can't just kick them out. Right. Um, Because that would start a conflict. And she can't actually give them anything they want. Yeah. But this is a way to promise them what they want and not have to give it to them.
0: Yeah, so she's kind
1: of walking a tightrope. Right. Here. So after the navy is blown up, that starts um, an incredible domino effect for the war. After that, pirates, who are probably Aetolians, join forces and burn two Sunisian cities. Sunis attacks Aetolian islands in revenge. Edis and Sunis become allies. Soonest gives Edith grain, and she promises to give canon, which, side note, canon is the plural in this book, which we just had to Google. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> right. is, that, is that really correct? Yeah, apparently you can do both canons or canon. Yeah, but canon is apparently more common in Australia and the UK, but we're in the US, so that's why we're so confused. Yeah, Megan Whalen Turner's <laughs> American,
0: but it's this is fantasy Europe-ish. Yeah, It's like, uh, it's like how movies set in europe no matter where they are in europe if people are speaking english
1: they have english accents yeah so continuing okay so Sunis gives her grain and she promises canon Sunis takes two islands geos and sarah atolia takes the islands capris and almost takes anti-capris cool names okay there's a lot of trading islands back and forth yeah she takes the eastern end of cymarine but then she's also moving her army up edis's pass Two more grain shipments from Sunis reach Edis, and Sunis really, really, really wants the cannon. Edis almost had the cannon in the pass to fire on Atolia's army, but Atolia's army retreated before she could fire. And that's what you missed. They're they're playing (laughs) Settlers of Catan. Yeah. It's
0: just, Edis is like, alright, I've got a whole hand of sheep. Please, somebody take my sheep. (laughs) I'm going to look up the etymology of the word canon real quick, just out of curiosity. The word canon, uh, circa 1400. It comes from the Anglo-French word canon, which comes from the Italian canone for a large tube or barrel, uh, which comes from the Latin canna, a reed or a tube. Mm. And that's what you learned on the Italian archives (sighs) today. That comes from the Online Etymological Dictionary, my favorite resource. One more moment that I wanted to bring up is when uh, Jen assures the magus that he will be an honored guest in Edis and he won't be treated poorly. Uh, and the magus, uh, he says, "'Whether I spend the rest of my life in comfort in Edis or in jail, won't be historically significant.' And then Jen says, "'If all you cared about was historical significance, "'you could have stayed in bed "'until the King's Guard came for you.' And that is another attitude that's wrapped up in this idea of the personal and the political and playing roles. The mangest is concerned about his life, but his primary goal after don't die is how will I be remembered when I do die and what am I accomplishing?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, It's all about... Greatness and uh, changing the world, making your mark.
1: Yeah, the Magus has always been very big picture. Yeah, like, yeah. Definitely more than anyone else you see in The Thief, but also. Yeah. I think the Magus, he, he's gotten used to being a big
0: fish in terms of big picture thinking, mm-hmm. and I think Jen sort of comes out of left field and smacks him in the side of the head. <laughs> like, oh, you think you're thinking long term. <laughs> What if I become
1: a god while you were out? (laughs) That's chapter 8. Next week, it's story time again with the only myth in this book.
0: If you have any thoughts about chapter 9 that you'd like us to discuss in the upcoming episode, lingering questions about chapter 8, art, songs, anti-equine hate mail, drop us a line at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be Be blessed blessed in in your your endeavors. endeavors. Thank you for listening. This is an amateur Has anybody seen my piece or my time? I think somebody might have taken it. See you next time.